I'm going to put a pause on our, um, we're doing a series on, uh, called Pioneer about the companions of Paul, and I'm going to put a pause on that because I want to deal with the concept of suffering. I might even have a title up there. The problem of pain, the problem of suffering, and if I'm honest with you guys, I've watched some videos coming out of the Bahamas, and I've just been heartbroken, just wrecked. I saw a video of a dad that had a little five-year-old boy that got lost. You may have seen that. I won't go into the details. I saw a man who lost his wife, and I just started watching all these different videos and looking at how terrible the, the devastation was in the Bahamas, and I started going, Lord, I think uh, probably especially here in America, we need a grasp on what, what is suffering? Why do you allow suffering? What's the Bible have to say about suffering? And, and is suffering a problem? And how do we believe that you're good in the midst of suffering? Does that make sense? A lot of people actually even ask, how can God be good if he allows so much suffering in the world? And that's a good question. We're going to answer it this morning. So I'm going to take us to John 9, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. John 9, if you have a Bible or an iPhone or whatever you want. I'm going to give you just a second to get there, but this is a story about Jesus. And then we're going to read it together, and then I got a few thoughts. A lot of these thoughts are actually coming out of the book of Job. At some point, we need to do a three- or four-week series on Job, but I couldn't get that all into one Sunday. Um, so anyway, we're doing this today, and we'll reference Job. Okay, <clears throat> John 9, starting in verse 1. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. A guy who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, they're talking to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work, and while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now watch this. This is kind of cool. Having said this, Jesus spit on the ground. Then he bent down and he took his spit and he made some mud with the saliva. And then he put it on the man's eyes. And he told the guy, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means scent. And so the man went and he washed and he came home and he could, what, Jamie? He could see. That's exactly right. Because of some spit in the mud. Check that out. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, it only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. And he replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. Lord Jesus, open our eyes today as we look at suffering, as we look at this difficulty. Father, I pray that you would give us the ability to understand a couple of serious challenges in this Christian life. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> On the backside of a um, sort of uh, tragedy like this, it never fails that some Christian somewhere, um, and I wince to say this, but some Christian somewhere gets up and says something about the judgment of God. You ever heard that? There was, a, there was a guy at a church I was part of, and he was endlessly getting up and saying, it's the judgment of God, and blah, 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 and it was all negative, and I literally wanted to take a hymnal and throw it at him. 
Because his theology is all messed up. And the problem is we have to go, how can a good God allow bad things like hurricanes to happen? How can a good God allow things like people to get cancer? How can a good God allow people to die? How can a good God allow people to suffer with chronic illness? How can a good God allow things like special needs children? How can a good God allow things like rape or murder or divorce or separation or disappointment? And I could go on and on. So the question is, how do we understand and see God in the context of all of these things that are so difficult? Does that make sense? If I didn't take your breath away or the oxygen out of the room, maybe I'll say a few more things until we go. (gasps) I think you'll find by the end of this, you'll go, oh my goodness, there is a God and he is good. The first thing I want to talk about is God's perfect will versus his permissive will. Look at that. We've never had notes so big, have we? (laughs) Man, that's incredible. I might like the movie theater. I might get in trouble doing this. God's perfect will versus his permissive will. So one of the things that the disciples asked was they looked at Jesus and they said, Jesus, was it this man's sin or was it his parents' sin that made him blind? And what did Jesus say? What did he say? Neither. Neither. Let's say that on three. One, two, three. Was it Wilmington's sin or was it our sin that made the hurricane come? Neither. Neither. Was it the Bahamas' sin or someone else's sin that made the hurricane come? Neither. 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 See, God's perfect will, if we looked at that for just a few minutes, happened in the Garden of Eden. Have you ever read the first few chapters of Genesis? We're not going to go there. We're not going to look at it. But he created in the beginning, Adam and Eve, and they're living in this garden. And guess what? Everything was perfect. And the Lord God would actually come and he would walk with them in the cool of the day. He would actually hang out with them in the garden. And everything was relational and there was connection. But because he was a loving God, he gave them a choice. He gave them a choice. And they had the ability to choose him and choose relationship, or they had the ability to choose to reject him and to choose to reject relationship. Now, God's perfect will would have been that we never left the garden. That's God's perfect will. That there never would have been any suffering. That there never would have been any tears. That there never would have been any war. That there never would have been any divorce. That there never would have been any rape. That there never would have been any hurricanes. That was God's perfect will. I can say with absolute theological confidence and total confidence in who the Lord is that the suffering and the difficulty that we see around us is not the will of God. Can someone say amen? Amen. Christians get so torqued out on this. They get so wrong on this. And somehow we go, oh, surely it must have been our sin and God's disciplining us. How many times in your own life, you don't have to, this is a rhetorical question, but does something negative happen and you go, oh, maybe it's God getting me? Have you ever done that? I bet you have if you're honest. I have. It's wrong theology. Can I be that bold? It's wrong theology. The wrath of God was taken out on Christ Jesus on a hill called Calvary right outside of Jerusalem. It was extinguished there. And for those of us who are in Christ, the wrath of God has been extinguished. Now, he is drawing us into repentance. He is drawing us into the conformity and likeness to who he is. But he is not coming against us with wrath. 
So first of all, God's perfect will would have been that we stayed in the garden, but we have this other thing that happens, and it's God's permissive will. Now, God's permissive will is that the enemy, you could call him Satan biblically, you could call him Lucifer biblically, you could call him the enemy biblically, you could call him the devil, which is more modern vernacular, but whatever you want to call him, he gets involved, and there is this fall, and suddenly Adam and Eve choose to not live in the garden with God. They choose to separate from God. And when they choose to separate from God, sin enters into them and into the world, and all manner of evil results. So you can rest assured when something uh, negative happens. We like to use the word bad. When something bad happens, is it God? No. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Neither. Neither. Jamie's listening. Jamie's got it, guys. I don't know about y'all, but Jamie's got it, okay? Sin entered into the world, and with it, silly things like mosquitoes. Serious. You think there was mosquitoes biting on them in the garden? No. No, no, no. All the way up to massive, horrible things like genocide and war and natural disasters. It all entered in there at the fall. And that we have entered into a season of God's permissive will. What's amazing is if you look at the the beginning of the book, Genesis, you read about perfect life in the garden. If you flip to the end of the book, Revelation, you read about something that's called the new Jerusalem or the new heaven and the new earth. That's right. And guess what we're going back to there? Garden. Going back to the garden. We are literally going back to a new heaven and a new earth. We're going, those of you who are children of the 80s and 90s, we're going back to the future. Thanks for laughing. I'm not a very funny guy, so it's really nice when you laugh once in a while. I go, man, I'm doing better than I thought. Going back to the future because we started in the garden and it's actually we're in this terrible in-between time, and when he comes back, he will reestablish his rule and reign on the earth. And guess what's going to happen to stuff like hurricanes and genocide and divorce and goes on and on and on and on. What's going to happen? It's going to be no more because we're going back to the future. We're going back to the garden. So you can rest assured that we are in an age of God's permissive will. In other words, he is allowing it to happen. If you want to dig deeper theologically on this, I'm not going to spend much time on it, but you could go to Job and read the first few chapters of Job. It's a fascinating study. If you're in the one-year Bible, we just read it. But it literally shows that Job is protected by God, and Satan actually asks if he can have access to Job, and God has to sort of lift the protection before Satan has access to Job's life. Now... Does uh, God cause any of the suffering that happens in Job's life? Yes or no? Come on, church. Yes or no? No, not one thing. The only thing God does is lift a covering. Now, who causes all the chaos and all the pain and all the hurt and all the difficulty? The enemy. Almost. You're tracking with me, Jamie. Come on. Hang in here. You're doing good. Knuckles. Boom. All right. So... Who causes all of the hurt and suffering and pain and difficulty? The enemy. That's right. Satan, Lucifer. We call it anything. Any of those names work just fine. So we have entered a season, literally, of God's permissive will. We live in a fallen world that is marked by the beauties of that initial creation in the garden, but it's now blended with the distortion, disorder, pain, struggle, and death that have come with the fall. 
Satan is the author of evil and suffering and all the like, and God is the author of every good thing. I've said it before, but a lot of Christians say to me and, and even in all sorts of forums, why do bad things happen to good people? You ever heard that? Why do bad things happen to good people? And I would actually tell you today that is a theologically inaccurate question. It's not even a good question. A better question is, how can anything at all good be happening in our world? Because it's lost and it's broken and it's ruled by the prince of the power of the air. So that means that every good thing in your life, the breath in your lungs, the house you live in, the kids you have, whatever you want to add to it, is a result of the blessing and grace and favor of God. And it's our job as believers to stand and contend with him by faith that, that his heaven would be brought into our now earth until the day when he comes back and establishes the Garden of Eden again. New heaven and new earth. Does that make sense? Okay. It's funny being in this movie theater. It's like different. Some of you are so far back there. Christopher and Macy, I'm like, hello. Okay. Um, <clears> okay. <throat> Number two, the second thing I want to talk about here is there is a suffering that leads to deliverance. Has uh, any of you guys read C.S. Lewis? Okay, look, we love C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. He's like one of my heroes. There's a, a book called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader in the what series? Narnia. Narnia. Come on, Matt Ham. I heard that. You've read that. In the, uh, so it's Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and in that... Um, C.S. Lewis does this amazing job of actually talking about someone who gets um, entrapped in their own sin or their own ugliness. It's actually a boy named Eustace. And Eustace um, is a couple of things. Uh, number one, he's slightly, uh, he lives in sort of an alternate reality. So they're sailing along in this boat in the open ocean, and it's a beautiful day, and there's no storms, and there's no waves, and it's clear sailing, and Eustace keeps going Look at this horrible storm we're in. He sees everything as a, a, a different color and a different reality than it actually is. And then Eustace, through his own greed, follow me here, through his own greed actually turns into a dragon. Do you all remember this? Kind of remember this? And there's a conversation that Eustace and Edmund have about the lion named, who remembers the lion? Aslan, that's right, who comes to set him free. I'm so sorry. My throat is just barely, you know, hanging on today. So they're having a conversation about this lion, Aslan, who comes to set him free. Now, here's, here's what I actually want to read a little passage, okay? You ready? Eustace is talking, and he says, Then Aslan, the lion, says, You will have to undress me. He's saying you'll have to rip off the dragon suit. I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty near desperate now, so I lay flat on my back and just let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep, so it's a big tear of that big Aslan claw, was so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. Remember, this is Eustace the boy who's turned into the dragon because of his own greed, his own hatred, his own ugliness. Aslan comes in, he says, and he began pulling the skin off. He's pulling this dragon suit off, and it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Is there a pain that leads to redemption? Yes. It hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. This is very appropriate for a family service. 
You know, if you've ever picked the scab of a sore place, it uh, hurts like a bilio, but it is such fun to see it coming away. I know exactly what you mean, said Edmund. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, the dragon skin, and then as I thought I had done it myself uh, the other three times, only they hadn't hurt, and uh, there it was laying on the grass. So Aslan has ripped this whole skin off, and it's laying over here on the grass. He said it was much thicker, much darker, and much, knob much more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there I was, as smooth and soft and as peeled, as a peeled switch, and smaller than I had been. Then he, Aslan, caught hold of me. I didn't like it very much, for I was very tender underneath, now that I had only skin on, and he threw me in the water. And it smarted like anything for a moment, symbol of baptism here, if you don't, not catching that. And then it became perfectly delicious as soon as I started swimming and splashing, and I found that all the pain had gone from my arm because I turned into a boy again. <clears throat> Here's the point. It's probably behind me. There is a suffering that leads to deliverance. There is a pain that God can use in our lives to lead us to freedom. If you read the book of Job, you can go and study this, but at the very end of the book, Elihu talks. And he's actually, this is his essential point, is that, hey, hey Job, listen. There is a suffering that can lead you back to the Lord Jesus if you've hardened your heart, if you've gotten a dragon suit on, if you want to use that analogy. I could actually tell you stories of my own life where I suffered most horribly, and it was God using circumstances to get my attention. Now, did God cause that suffering? Yes. No. Did he allow it? Yes. Yes. But that's really key. God is not causing suffering in your life. God is not causing sickness. God is not causing pain. Now, if you surrender into it, he can use it for his glory. He can use it in your life. C.S. Lewis actually wrote two little books that I love. One's called The Problem of Pain, and one is called A Grief Observed. The Problem of Pain is a sort of uh, less emotional reaction to humanity's situation. A Grief Observed is like a lament from sitting within pain himself. Both those are great reading if you want to read further on this. There's actually a um, young girl who lives in Atlanta right now, and she has a um, very rare um, nerve disorder, and she can feel no pain. No pain. So when she goes out to play soccer, uh, she has someone who goes with her and literally watches her the entire time. Why? So she won't get hurt. Why? Because she can't feel. She could literally break her ankle and keep running down the field with her ankle twisted sideways, and she would not even know it. She can't feel. She has no sensation in her body. Now, her mom is actually a believer. And her mom says in an interview, you know what she prays every night? Let me pause here. Most of us as parents pray that our kids would experience less pain, right? Lord, don't let them suffer. Most of us as families even go, Lord, don't let us suffer. Lord Jesus, protect us. What do you think this mom prays? Lord, will you let my daughter feel pain? Will you let my daughter feel pain? And I would actually say to you here in America that the problem is not pain. The problem is our addiction to pleasure and our addiction to comfort. 
And we've actually taken the true gospel of Christ Jesus and we've sort of distorted it with an American prosperity gospel. We've blended in a few drops of the American dream. We've blended in some, oh, you're going to you know, get healthy and wealthy and wise. And we've kind of shaken it about and we've come out with sort of a distorted view of the gospel. Now, let me also say here, as you come to Christ Jesus, he does want to bless you and he does want you to walk out life with him on planet earth. Does that mean it's always going to be easy? No. No, no, no. So my first point, just to back up a second, is God's perfect will versus permissive will. It's a key thing to understand. The second point is there is a suffering that leads to deliverance. And my third point is in the midst of suffering. This is going to be a little, maybe a little more challenging to understand, but I want you to go with me. In the midst of suffering, don't ask why. Instead, ask, Lord Jesus, for what purpose have you allowed this? This is going to change everything. Make a note of it. You'll understand it here in a second. But one of the problems that we have with suffering is that Christians notoriously get trapped in the why question. Have you ever done that? Lord, why did this happen? Why did you allow this? In this passage that we just read, the disciples asked why, and what did they conclude? Lord, why did this happen? They asked that question. And then they started going, go back to our passage, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? And what's Jesus' answer? Neither. Neither. That's right. That's right. So the disciples get into trouble because they ask why. So I want to actually say to you today, Jesus rebuked his disciples, and then they began to ask for what purpose, and they end up with the revelation that God wanted to display his power in this man. The man didn't sin. His parents didn't sin. God wanted to display his power on the earth and draw people to him. That's why he allowed it. Now, how many years was that guy blind? I'm not sure how old he was. He was a man, so he was probably mid-20s or mid-30s, maybe even older. And you go, now God being good, can he allow this man to be blind that long just so that he can display his power and his glory and so he can draw people to himself? And I would say, yes. Yes. Some of you actually may have read my email before the hurricane and gone, man, Michael must be crazy. He's like excited about getting out and, you know, running a chainsaw and helping people. Rah, rah. No. What I'm excited about is that I get to be a companion and participant with the Lord, and so do you, about reaching into a lost and broken and dying world. What I'm excited about is I'm crystal clear. Lord, what is the purpose that you allow this little hurricane? It's to bring your glory on the earth, and it's so churches get off their duffs and actually get out and do something. We spent our day yesterday volunteering with the World Kitchen. Thank you, <laughs> Jennifer's the volunteer coordinator. Thank you. World Central Kitchen. The kids, the older two of ours and I went out and we just volunteered. The day before that, we cut trees and ran a bobcat. Here's the point. I'm, I'm emailing you guys and I'm talking about this hurricane, whether it hits or whether it doesn't. All the while I'm praying it doesn't. But when it does or if it does, we now have an opportunity to be companions and participants with him in establishing his purpose and his glory on the earth. Let me go back. When you start this line of questioning, why? Lord, why am I sick? Lord, why do I have a child with special needs? Lord, why do I have a child that's chronically ill? Lord, why does this member of my family have cancer? Lord, why did you take this person home early? Lord, why did I lose a son 
or a daughter. You have to shift the question. As painful as this is, you have to shift the question because the danger of that why question is, it, is it's all about us. It's how I feel. It's how I see. It's how I think. And the moment you begin to shift it and go, Lord, for what purpose have you allowed this? You're actually surrendering in some way to him and letting him begin to infuse you with his purpose and his heart for the situation. It's a total game changer. I've thrown out the word why. Even in my marriage, I've thrown out the word why. I'll do my best never to go, Abby, why? You know, because it's sort of, it's degrading, it's demanding, there's something about it, and I'm finding by, for what purpose? Help me understand. It's an invitation to relationship instead of this sort of narcissistic, self-centered, why, God, why? Does that make sense? Now, my answer here is not going to be necessarily um, easy, but what I would actually say is, Get your one-year Bible, get yourself a five-year journal, and begin to invite God into that area of suffering in your life. You've lost a parent, invite him into it. Lord, for what purpose? If you're sick right now. In fact, I'm looking at Bill and Shelly who are struggling with some things and may not be able to go to Italy. We prayed for them and tried to send them out yesterday. And we're going to pause right here in the middle of our service and we're going to pray for you all. Bill and Shelly are struggling with some sicknesses that I'm not going to talk about, but I want everybody to turn around. We're going to pause, reach out a hand to Bill and Shelly. He's in the red shirt, and she's in the white shirt. Lord Jesus, we praise you for Bill and Shelly this morning. And Lord, symbolically, we know that your heart is not that Bill would be sick or that Shelly would be sick. Lord, we also know that your heart is to send them to Italy so that they could share the gospel of Christ Jesus there. Lord, I actually think your heart at some point is that we would see a church planted out of salt box in Italy. And Father, I pray that you would work in Shelley's physical body and you would work in Bill's physical body and you would give them the strength and the stamina and the energy to go. Lord, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your heart is not that they would be suffering, that your heart is not that they would be in pain. But Lord, we also know that you're big enough not only to heal, but you're also big enough to allow them and work through them in the suffering and in the pain. Lord, bless them today. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, my advice is this. Get yourself a five-year journal. And why am I saying that? Because you've got to know yourself and you've got to know God. And then get your one-year Bible. Some of you have forgotten that. You need to get it back out, dust it off, and actually get in that relationship with Him. And you know what we love to do in America? We talk and we talk and we talk and we talk and we talk. And what I'm actually inviting you to do is get before the Lord Jesus and just write a question in that five-year journal and go, Lord, for what purpose have you allowed blank? You fill it in. For what purpose did you allow whatever it is in your life? The divorce in my parents, the abuse in my family, the chronic illness. Lord, for what purpose did you allow, you fill it in, the hurricane in the Bahamas? <clears throat> One of the things as I was studying this is I was looking at the book of Job, and you know that Job lost a number of children. And then you know at the end of his life, the Lord comes back and he heals and he restores and he redeems. And God does that sometimes, but he's not going to always do that. But one of the things that I was thinking about is just because God gave Job more kids, do you think he forgot the first ones? Absolutely not. Do you think the pain of losing the first ones left? No. 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 Was there joy in the Lord in his current life? Yes. 
See, the Lord wants to meet you in the pain, meet you in the suffering. I'm inviting you actually to ask him and then leave it. Let it hang. Lord Jesus, for what purpose did you allow this? And then let him speak to you. God may call you and God may call us as believers to lose all manner of things for the Lord. But make no mistake, you will never lose anything by the Lord. And my last point is this. When God allows something, it is so the works of God might be displayed. We have this blind man who's been blind from birth, and God from eternity past intends to heal this man. He allowed him to be blind so that he could demonstrate his good works. You know, if you look at Job, Job was never aware of what happened in heaven. Job was never aware of this big interaction between God and Satan. Job was never aware of what was at stake. And Job had no idea that we'd be talking about him some 7,000 years later. You know that? Job now knows. Hebrews 11 says he's in a cloud of witnesses looking down at us. And if you ask Job today, Job, would you endure it all again? What do you think he'd say? I think he'd say yes. I think he'd go yes because he can see with the eyes of eternity past. When God allows something difficult in our lives, it's so that the work of God might be displayed. The answer for what purpose is never the sins of the past, but it is always the work of God in the present and in the future. Always. Listen to me, church. If you write something down, if you take something home, the answer when you ask for what purpose is never going to be the sins of the past. It's always going to be the work of God now and in the future. If you're suffering, he wants to suffer with you. He wants to walk with you. We'll pray for healing. We'll believe for it. Sometimes he will. Sometimes he wants to meet you in the middle of the suffering and walk with you in it. Sometimes he's not going to deliver you from it. Sometimes he's going to call you to walk it out. That's hard to hear, isn't it? The truth of God's revelation in Jesus, the truth is that God's revelation in Jesus can hold you in any situation, in life and death and sickness and suffering and chronic illness and anxiety and fear and the loss of a loved one. For some of us, the suffering on this planet will end and we'll experience God's healing and his restoration in life, but for others, maybe not. But for all of us, there is grace, and therefore there is hope. There is relationship with God, and therefore there is comfort. Who sinned, this man or his parents? Neither. Neither. God allowed this so that the glory of God might be displayed on the earth. I've got a friend in closing. He lives in a different state, so I can tell you the story. And he'll probably listen to this podcast and send me a text. <laughs> I've got a friend, and uh, they have three kids, and they adopt, or they were in process of adopting and fostering a little girl. And this little girl had been, uh, this little girl was actually born in the woods, and the mom was in crisis and addicted to some drugs, and mom um, chewed through the umbilical cord in the woods, and mom left the baby. And baby was bleeding out, the little girl. And uh, someone happened upon the baby and found the baby and tied the cord up. 
and brought the baby into foster care, to DSS, to the hospital. And my friend and his wife had just gotten their license for, to foster. And literally the first call they got was for this brand new little baby a couple days old. And now this is a few years ago. And this baby, they have three kids, has become a vital part of their life. A vital part of their life. Now, hold that story a second. This is my, um, this is my climbing buddy. This is my surfing buddy. This is my sailing buddy. We don't get that deep. In fact, uh, I climbed Mount Rainier with him out of Washington State. We went up a vertical ice chute in 2011. It was an amazing time. But I was telling him my story, and you've picked up by now that I've got a story. And I was telling him my story, and when I was telling him my story, he looked at me and he said, you know, Michael, you understand the grace of the Lord and the forgiveness of the Lord in a way that I hope I never do. He called me back this last week and he said, Michael, in the last six months, we're losing this little baby that we were in process of adopting. Someone in the family has come forward and there's still drugs, there's all sorts of stuff in the family. And what that has essentially done, he said, I don't know if you remember, Michael, that day in the car, we were in a rental car driving to Mount Rainier National Park. And he said, I said to you, I hope that I never have to understand the grace of the Lord and the redemption of the Lord like you understand. And he got on the phone to me and he said, you know what, Michael? I'm beginning to understand the grace of the Lord and the redemption of the Lord and his love for us because of the pain that we're in and the fear that my wife and I are going through and my kids are going through over losing this little baby that we had adopted into our hearts and into our lives. And every day there's a new battle. They get up, they might adopt the baby, they might not. There might be a family member, there might not. There's visitations, there's all this stuff going on with the system and, and the system's doing it the best it can and they're doing the best they can. And he got on the phone with me over the last six months and he keeps telling me story after story. And you know what's happening? God is meeting them in their suffering. God is meeting them. And all of a sudden, this guy is not just my sports buddy. He's a guy that I trust. He's a guy that I love. He's a guy that I respect. The depth of his character and walk with the Lord is like just gone deeper and deeper and deeper. Now, let me ask you, would he have gone there without what he's gone through? Let me ask it again. Would he have been able to go to the depths in terms of his character his persistence and his relationship with Jesus without going through what he's gone through? No. Some of you are suffering today. In fact, I would go so far as to say all of us are suffering at one level or another. And I want you to know that Jesus is with you in it. He's in the Bahamas with those people in it. Do we need to get involved and do something? Yes. He's with the people in the Outer Banks. Do we need to get involved to do something? Yes. Sometimes we do nothing because we don't know what to do. Pick up a rake, pick up a hatchet, pick up a chainsaw, go talk to somebody, do what you can with what you have. Now, listen to me, church, as we close. In fact, Perry, would you come back up? Sometimes God's going to rescue you from what you're suffering. Sometimes he's going to meet you. Sometimes... God is going to literally take you out of the fire and he's going to save you. But sometimes he's actually going to come and he's going to stand in the fire with you. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. 
I don't know where you are today, but listen to me. Listen to me. If you're in the fire, we can pray that he gets you out. But it also might be that he wants to stand in the fire with you. He wants to whisper to you. Remember my kid's sermon? If someone's far away, I shout. But if someone's close, I whisper. I whisper. When I'm in my greatest pain, I'm not looking for the shout of God. I'm looking for the whisper of God. Because he's close. I don't know where your heart is this morning, but I would invite you in this whole challenge of suffering to stand up and let the Holy Spirit work in your heart as we worship the Lord and close together.